Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver, and you're getting ready to listen to the second part of our interview with Layla Miller from the book Made This Way. Yeah, how important is it for mom and dad to be on the same page and so that they both feel comfortable addressing this so the kids feel, you know, I can go to dad for this or I can go to mom, and if you have sons or daughters, you know, they'll go to where they feel more comfortable, but that they're both able to do this. Oh, that is so, you know, it's ideal because it's hard enough as it is, even if you have two parents on board, um, it's hard enough to fight the culture. So if you have someone who's wavering or someone who's on a, a different uh, page, it's it's problematic, um, which is why we have to still remember that the the soul is still designed to gravitate toward the truth. So even if, let's say, someone's, you know, one of the parents is not on board, um, the other one can still speak the truth, and even if, again, the child may may go off in a wayward direction, but that truth is going to still be part of um, what echoes in in that person's soul. I mean, we do seed planting. If we can't if we can't be on the same page, um, we we still plant those seeds because those seeds could take fruition, you know, many years later. Um, that's what happened to me when I. I had never heard when I was when I was in in college, and I was not living the moral law at all. But when I um, when I took a class, I was at a um, I was at Boston College, and there was actually a professor that was really solid, an old Jesuit, very solid, and he taught about contraception. It was the first time that I ever heard arguments, logical again, back to reasonable logical right. arguments for why the church was said you know contraception is against. The moral law is something you cannot do because you violate the goodness of marriage and, and sexuality. And I thought, gosh, wow, that makes sense. Like, that really made sense to me. Now, it took 10 more years before I was actually living and, and fully accepting that into my own life. But I'll never forget Father Ryan. I mean, I remember that he said that. And so he probably thought, oh, you know, nobody's listening to me. And most people were laughing and most people didn't care. But he doesn't know. He's probably not even alive anymore. He does not know that that one girl sitting in that class, those seeds took, took root later on. So, you know, we do what we can even in a in a less than optimal situation. Sure, and then there's the ripple effect, right? You you heard that, you you know, it took 10 years to kind of simmer, but then now you have kids that understand that, now you're going to exactly. have grandkids that are, I mean, the ripple effect is just huge. Exactly. And what if I were the only one in that class that ever, you know, that's okay. That's okay because look what's happened. I mean, you know, even this book, it it's a fruit in some ways of what Father Ryan taught. So, again, you never know what God is going to do with anything, but you just have to, you know, do, you know, go forward and 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 when you hear truth and 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 you have it, you share it with others and leave the outcomes to God. That's always God's domain is the outcome. We just have to do the right thing in the moment. Well, that's right, right? We have to be faithful. And that's what Mother Teresa says. Be, you have to be faithful, not necessarily successful. Just be faithful. Let God do all the work. Exactly. Exactly. It's, there's this saying that really hit me once a long time ago. We are to serve the good, not to affect the good, meaning we serve the good at every moment. We aren't to um, break the moral law. We're to, we're to be good at every moment, but we aren't to bring about the good. Because if we're, if we're charged with bringing about the good, then we're going to start to cut corners and say, well you know, um, if I just cheat a little here, do this here, then it becomes the ends justifying the means. Right. And then because we say, well, we want this outcome. We want this outcome. Well, 
that's where you get into all the evil. So let God worry about the outcome and let, like Mother Teresa said, we just have to be faithful moment by moment. Yeah, he's he's pretty good at it. Why we think we need to uh, yeah. circumvent or replace him, I'm not quite sure. That's not our job. Yeah, exactly. We need to remember that's that's his that's his domain. Yeah, I really, I you know, I really love the way you organize the book too, in terms mm-hmm. of the catechesis first, young mm-hmm. children, teens. Because let's be honest, a lot of people we talk to are probably at the young child or in, or maybe at a teen level, even when they're adults, in terms of mm-hmm. understanding the teachings of the church. Yeah, yeah, we haven't. It's it, we're all kind of stunted. It's. I don't know when we got so impoverished, but I do know that even, I guess so Martin Luther King, I, we quote him in the book because he quotes, when he's sitting in, in uh, Birmingham jail, mm-hmm. because he's protesting unjust laws that go against the natural law. So it goes against God's moral law to segregate people because of race. Um, he writes this letter, and this is just within, you know, right before my lifetime. So I think he wrote it in 63. I was born in 67. But within, you know, the span of looking back, it's pretty close. He knew all about um, natural law teaching. That's how people used to think. They'd say, okay, this is wrong because it doesn't square with God's moral law, God's natural law. And he quotes St. Augustine. He wasn't even Catholic. He quotes St. Augustine. He quotes Thomas Aquinas. And so from there, there we were in the 60s, and most people were generally understanding that, you know, we use our brains, we have reason, things need to be thought through logically, we have philosophical principles. Then we've gotten to where we are now. It's very hard to, it's kind of hard to believe that we do have adults walking around who've never had a principle by which they live, and and yet that was always understood in the past. So we are talking about people who need to start from scratch. And and part of what we did with the book is we wanted it to be, well, we say it's a stealth catechesis, but it's not really stealth because we're not being quiet about it. Right, we know right. You that bring, that's the first thing you talk yeah. in each chapter, yeah. We need to, we want to educate first the adults that are going to read this book because they have to be at least one step ahead of the kids that they're teaching. So you would they hope. need to get it first. Yeah, exactly. Although what's really interesting, Deacon, is I um I didn't think about this. We didn't think about this when we wrote it, but since it's been out, we have found that um, high schoolers have. I've had I had a mom who sent me a picture of her high school daughter who picked up the book in their kitchen and sat down and read it straight through in two days and said, "Mom, this is exactly what's going on in my school." So not only, you know, can the adults really get a lot out of it to teach the kids, but, but teenagers, you know, nothing younger than teenagers, but teenagers read it and they're getting the basics themselves just straight from the book, which is really nice. So even if a parent feels like, oh, I don't really even know how to then impart it to them, or if you've got teenagers, hand them the book and say, this is really, you know, this is really interesting. This is all the stuff that's going on in the culture. What do you think? And then those seeds will be planted. It's an easy, easy book to read. It you know turns pages very easily. It's not like you have to really sit and and ponder, you know, every page. Um, it's, well, and you can go back. It's really easy reading, right? I mean, it's not very, you don't you don't feel like you have to be a moral theologian not at to pick all. up the book. And it really is a springboard for you to hopefully learn more. This should pique people's interest. I mean, if this. Um, 
you know, it, we, we left a lot on the cutting room floor, as we said. We wanted it to be short enough that it could be bought in bulk, you know, and we also wanted it to be uh, short enough to be not intimidating. So we left a lot of good stuff out of the book. But there's so much. I mean, we as Catholics have the most amazing patrimony, you know, that we have the most amazing uh, truth out there, the, the intellectual stuff, the spiritual stuff to chew on. And if this, I think, because you don't get this sort of thing anymore, you're, you know, mostly we just get what people's feelings are. Oh, yeah. Um, but to start to get a little idea of truth and how it all fits together is is actually really exciting. Like, it, it, it inspires people like, wait a minute. That's how I was 24 years ago when my mom handed me the book of apologetics, and I thought, wait a minute. Somebody took the time to explain through reason why the Catholic Church is the church that Christ founded, and then they gave these incredible historical, biblical, and logical reasons why that's the case, and they built this case. And I just was blown away by it because I didn't think I'd never seen anything like that. So we're kind of doing the same thing here with just these, these, these ten tough moral issues, just starting from scratch and saying, well, let's think about this. Let's think about it instead of just running headlong into our, our emotions and our feelings about it. Um, and it should, spark, it should spark an interest in, in finding out more. You know, I watched one of your one of your interviews, and you mentioned of I think the question was asked. You know, which topic in the book do you find the most difficult to explain? <laughs> mm. And I was surprised by your answer. Which one is it again? <laughs> it was modesty. Yeah, we had that. We had such a Trent and I would agree that the, the most difficult chapters to write were the were the modesty chapters because uh, you have even wonderfully faithful Catholics who don't want to talk about it, and they just are kind of in this whole cultural, well, you know, don't tell me what I have to wear, what I can't wear, and and and, and you realize, okay, wait a second, wait a second, we can't, and I get it, I mean, I get it, I was that person, I, I'm not um, judging, I, I, I was that person who was just like, oh, come on, I mean, really... Um, but now, and, and, and nobody's talking about wearing, you know, girls wearing prairie dresses, and, and also we're not Yeah, you don't have about, to look like you just, yeah, you were on Little House on the Prairie. Exactly, and we're also not talking about that, that, that boys and men don't have to also have modest, be, be modest people, and that would be less about clothing for men as it would for women, and, and it's a reason, there's a reason for that, because we're different natures, but, um, but they're every, much, every bit as much responsible for being uh, modest as and especially, you know, for men in speech and in how they treat, you know, and look at things. And there's um, there's just as much a need for that virtue in, in male as female. One thing, well, especially we forget, if you're a dad, right? Because you got uh, oh, daughters and sons that are watching your every move. Watching your every move. We need good men. I mean, we are so starved for really, really good men. And so we need to. Um, yeah, our, our fathers have a, a big role to play in all of this. Um, and mothers, 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 oh, my goodness, don't cave. You know, if you start young, if you start young, even the, the church document that I, I quoted before has said modesty comes naturally to little kids. They don't, they're not going to fight. They don't care. They're not going to say, hey, no, I want to wear that belly shirt or that, you know, when they're little. They don't care. They'll just wear something that's cute and that's easy to play in. And so you don't have to even have those those battles if you start young and just, 
you know, and talk about it then, then right? Use that use use then. that common sense and everyday things, how things oh, should look and why and yeah. exactly, exactly because it's more about it's not about hiding you know shameful parts of the body. It's about keeping things private that are. Um, that should that should not be um, unveiled to the world, and it doesn't have to do with dirtiness at all. It has to do with keeping things hidden that are supposed to be private, and that's a very wonderful thing. That's a very sacred thing. It's a very it's a very elevated. It's not something dirty and terrible. It's actually wonderful. So um, we tend yeah, and I can to, see yeah, and I can see people being called you know you're a stick in the mud, and you know, yeah. look at those parents. They don't let them watch this television program right, right. or whatever. Um, right. Because it's easier to criticize than to do what's right. Right. And there's so many layers to why that is. I mean, partly because you don't want to be the odd mom out on the street or the the family that's weird or, you know, all of that. Um, also because you may not see the bigger implication if you start young with those types of things, what, what kind of battles you're going to have when you're older, when your kids are older. It's going to be a lot more difficult to explain then why they suddenly have to um, do certain things or wear certain things or that you won't let them out of the house in that or whatever. But, uh, but again, that's part of our job. But you have to think, you know, we want to forget about an entire virtue. And, and virtues are all connected, too. So there's this virtue that's called modesty. And if we just want to say we just, we're going to jettison that one, well, you can't just jettison an entire virtue. <laughs> you can't. Well, because they're all they, they the other virtues depend on it, right? Exactly. It's almost like modesty facilitates, you know, chastity, for example. Now, I don't know if that's a technical way of saying it, but that's the way I look at it. You right. Know, modesty facilitates, it helps, it undergirds chastity. Well, hopefully we're not ready. I mean, I think the culture is, but hopefully we Catholics are not ready to jettison chastity as a virtue. We've got all these virtues that um, depend on each other. They're they're intertwined, and they're all, that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be like him, to be to be good. We were made to be good. So we can't just say, oh, gosh, this, this, this virtue's been around forever, <laughs> but we don't like it anymore because we're enlightened in this culture. Well, it's like, wait, 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 wait. We, we can't do that. It, you're you're going to lose the whole thing if you lose uh, one or two virtues. You're gonna lose. The well, that's thing. really what you're battling in the book, right? Because people oh, are wanting yeah. to throw this away and throw that away, whether the definition yeah. of marriage or sure. you know, you talk about modesty, and then you you got pornography, and it's mm-hmm. almost like you know what? It's whatever makes you feel good. Well, that doesn't. Right. It, there may right. be an immediate thing, but in the long run, it makes you feel miserable. Right. So it's like let's take a pinch of this, but we don't want that. And well, that's not Catholicism. I mean, Catholicism is 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 whole. Like it's it's everything. It's all goodness, and we, we don't pick and choose which part of goodness we want. And so one great example of of people doing that, um, we talk about in the book, in the um, just because it's coming to my mind, the reproductive technology. Where I remember y- years ago, there was a group of really um, practicing good Protestant women, Christian women who uh, were infertile, so they kind of um, supported each other. Uh, and they were talking about their, they were bloggers, I think, and they were talking about their, their husbands who had gone, because they were doing IVF, who had gone to the IVF clinic right. to um, deposit their sample, you know, deposit <laughs> yeah, the no good way of saying it, yeah. to use, you know, for this insemination. And what they were doing, they were laughing and just 
having a good old time talking about the fact that one of the husbands had taken a picture of the collection room. Well, on the wall, it's 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 racks of porn magazines. Sure. So it's pornography. It's a video. You know, they had at that time. I think it might have been videotapes. You know, but videos of porn. And you, so you have like these couple other different sins that are all mixed in. You have, you have pornography, you have lust, you have, you know, you have masturbation, mm-hmm. um, which again, a lot of Protestants don't think is a sin, but still, you have their husbands masturbating to porn in order to, um, give them what they think is this great pro-life thing, which is wonderful, you know, a baby, but they're willing to go to some very evil means where in any other circumstance they would say, I don't want my husband masturbating to porn. You know, these are Christian women. You know, pornography isn't good. But in this case, they're laughing over it because it was the means to, that, those sins were a means to an end that they wanted. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And not, and not only that, but, you know, with IVF, you've also got the pro-life issue, which is all these embryos, which are usually just discarded. Um, that's That's death for those human beings. So you've got we've got these blinders on a lot of us where we think well as long as we're pro life because we want this baby here um we can overlook all the other really wicked things that we're accepting in order to get there and that's not christian there's nothing about that that is christian no there's nothing about it i mean you know you know the horrible crime of rape can conceive a child mm, exactly and we would never say Oh, well, that's so great. That rape was wonderful. We, we yeah, because look at this beautiful gift. Now, exactly. it is the beautiful gift, but as exactly. you mentioned earlier, and a couple times really, the ends don't justify the means. Exactly. So that's the thing. People get all up in arms when they're like, when you say, well, but to get to that IVF baby, you've got to do all these different sins to get there. And they'll say, but, you know, the baby. And your point is very well taken. There's a lot of sinful ways to get a baby, sinful, terrible ways. And so the church and, and Christ, you know, is, there's a consistency that we never violate the dignity of any human being, ever. That, that's sinful to do that. So if we're getting something, quote-unquote, good, and, and actually a baby, no matter how it's conceived, is always good. But to say that that justifies doing evil things, never, never. That's not a moral principle, which brings us back to we have to have that baseline of moral principle that says we can't ever do evil even to bring about a good. Yeah, and you made a you made a point in one of the interviews I saw, and I, I think it was in the book too, you, you, you mentioned a, a woman from I think your son's soccer games or something about who did IVF. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the point of, look, you don't go right into these teachings and start hammering people. You made a point. If you could talk about how you build a relationship and then had the conversation. Sure. So that's the other thing, too, because people say, oh, it's so mean. You know, I can't go up to these people, these gay couples or these, uh, you know, ladies who've had babies with IVF. And I can't. It's so mean for me to go up to them and say, you're going to hell. And I'm thinking, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to make a lot of converts, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking, (laughs) who said that? Like, I get that so much, you can't even believe it. But I said, I have never in my life done that. I've never in my life suggested that anybody would. That would be a terrible thing to do to someone. So what, uh, when we talk about these ideas, when we're just talking about ideas, this is in the macro, I call it. There's a macro way we talk in the big picture uh, about principles and ideas. But when you're actually talking to a human being, 
that may have been involved in a sin or may, uh, you know, you may not even know it until you're in the middle of a conversation. And this is how it happened with my friend. She's a wonderful friend of mine. Um, and she and I, the, the way we met was, um, yeah, it was a cross-country. Our sons were oh, cross country. Uh, okay, cross-country yeah. team. Yep. And, uh, and she was talking about her wonderful son, who is a good friend of my son's. And she said, oh, I just really w- wish someday I could thank the woman who gave the donor egg for me to conceive, you know, her son. And, you know, of course, I, I'm this Catholic teacher, you know, I, I teach the faith, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, okay, I don't know this woman. I don't want to be like, wow, yes, you know, if only we could thank that woman, you know, because you don't want to do that. But any other person, if I weren't Catholic, I probably would have done that. But I'm thinking, sure. okay, this is, this is awkward. I don't know what to say. But what I did was in the moment, I just, you can always think of something to say. You send up a prayer to the Holy Spirit, and I said, um, oh, you know, he, I gave his name, and I said, he is such a wonderful young man, just such a wonderful young man, and you're so blessed to have him. And that's all I said. I didn't affirm anything that he just acknowledged his humanity and dignity. Exactly. And then, then, over the course of the next few years, we became extremely close friends, and she is a Catholic woman. And so it turns out, and I don't know that this made it into the book, it turns out that she had written away to a she had written to a moral theologian actually before she did any of the many rounds of IVF that they did and she got a letter back which she showed me she still has the copy that basically said yeah the church says it's wrong but i think you've sufficiently thought it through and so i'd say go ahead and and, and have that baby now isn't okay. that that's some that's spiritual malpractice on the part of that theologian. Uh yeah, yeah. They uh it's really bad. Really bad. But yeah, I wouldn't want to be I'm gonna have my own problems during judgment. I don't want that. Exactly. And and there it is in writing. I mean I read it with my own eyes and she said, you know, Layla, I thought that we were doing the right thing and, and I said, that's not your fault. You got the answer that you thought was so anyway, we became very good friends. Since that time, she absolutely has learned the, the truth about the the evils of the process of IVF, and um, and she gave permission for me to use the story, you know, the story in the book. She said, "Please." She went through hell. Excuse my language. She went mm-hmm, yeah. Hell going through these um, hormone treatments to get the eggs, and then the she almost died at one point. So um, she said, "It's a it's a barbaric practice." And even though she loves her son, and I love her son, we love her son. That is not the way to quote-unquote, get a baby, that's not how God wants this, you know, this process of creation, co- cooperation with, with God to create a child. That's not the way he wants it to happen. Just yeah, it's like, like calling up, it's like, uh, you, you know, going on Amazon and ordering somebody. It is. It's, it's commodifying the child. I mean, they, children are not commodities. They are not owed any, they are not owed to a couple. Everybody thinks, well, I have a right to a child. No, you don't have a right to a child. The only one, and the catechism is very clear, the only one who has any rights in these situations is the child. Is the child. And the right that the child has, as the catechism says, is to be born of the conjugal loving union of his married mother and father. That's the only right, and that belongs to the child. Anything else, not your right. It's not your right to commodify, to manufacture, right. to, to – uh, it's called um, – I have a friend, my friend from Bioethics Defense on Dorinda Bordley. She's an attorney. She calls it human reproductive trafficking. 
And really, that's what it is. It's buying and selling human gametes and, you know, human um, sperm eggs and and using third parties to create or manufacture. Or you could rent a womb. You know, a lot of yeah. gay men rent wombs mm-hmm. of of these women. I mean, it's just it's 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 so utilitarian. It's so um, it does not is not in keeping with the dignity of the human person and the rights of the human person. So it is um, it is morally uh, impermissible. Well, it's, you're, 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 it's morally bankrupt when you're, when you're doing totally. stuff like that. Absolutely. And, we, and yet we, we cover it with this veneer of, but there's a baby. This is so wonderful. But we've got to back up. Back up. <laughs> we, it's taking us in places we don't want to go. And another story that didn't make it into a, a book was a friend of mine who was infertile. She went with her husband to one of these IVF clinics. She said she sat in that, in that office with the doctor who looked at her, and he said, I can give you whatever you want. And she said they felt such a chill up their spine. You know, it was almost like the devil was speaking to them. Like, well, kind, I, of, kind for, of was. It kind of was. For whatever money you can give me, I will give you whatever you want. And we know that that includes selective reduction. So if there's too many babies that are implanted and, you know, they go in and they, they kill, they abort the ones that are too many, you know, the excess. Once the child is already growing in the womb, and that doesn't even count for all the little embryos who never make it in. Right. So she knew right then, she's like, I, we got to get out of here. I mean, I, they literally got up and ran. <laughs> she was just a, it was a terrible, terrible moment of, of, of understanding. Um, so, but we don't, you know, we push that out of our heads because we want what we want. And yet our call as Christian is what? It's not to want what we want. It's to will what God wills. That's right. So we that's do right. Well, that's where happiness and joy are found, right? Amen. That's exactly right. And, and we, have, we have forgotten that. Well, I can't believe time has gone this far, that we're, al- that we're almost done. I do want to remind people we've been talking about Made This Way, but how can they get the book, Layla? The best way to get the book um, uh, is a, a Catholic Answers has um, a website, madethiswaybook.com. And that'll take you right to the Catholic Answer store. If you buy these in bulk, which is, I've I've heard that a lot of parishes and a lot of moms groups and a lot of um, schools are doing, uh, it's it's five dollars a book. If you buy like a case of of twenty, you get them at five dollars a book. So well, I'm actually on my third case because I've been handing them out as we as we've been going oh, to wow. talking to priests and different people. So I can attest. It's it's a great deal. Uh, people love it. I just got a call this morning from one of the biggest parishes in Denver saying, I read the book over the weekend. You have to come in and talk to our staff. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that makes me so happy. I, I will I'll tell Trent and I mean we just that's what we hoped for, that this would fill a void because there is a void and nobody knew kind of what, what direction they should go in and be able to deal with these issues, especially with their children. So I'm I'm glad to hear that that's Well you have you have filled a great void and I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time this morning just talking about you know how important this is and for every parent to pick it up so I would encourage every parent to pick it up and Layla Miller I just thank you for all your ministry and all that you're doing because you're sharing the truth and people so desperately need to hear it thank you Deacon Jeff I really really appreciate you having me on all right God bless thanks a lot